Yes, indeed, my friends. That's right. It's time for Disruptive AF with the original. I'm telling you, it's like a party here right now. Party at Disruptive Central. Disruptive Central. No, no, no. A party at Disruptive AF Central with the, one of the, with the original. I'm just going to say the original, the man, co-host, co-founder of Disruptive AF himself. I'm not even going to wait around. Straight to it. The Daniel Holter right here with our Liz. I can't even believe it. Like this is probably the most exciting thing to me. I don't know, since sliced bread, I would say most likely because the guys here with us right now, Dan, welcome. It is so good to be with you. What's up? Oh my gosh. To be with you again on the air. It's been a while. It feels like a long long, lost, too long. long. It feels feels like a long lost, I don't know, just a reunion that's needed to happen for a long, long, long time. In case you don't know, you go back to season one. Uh, Dan, uh, back back in the day, literally start off with the podcast, uh, Disruptive AF with Afworks is, is just kind of a connective piece for the innovation ecosystem. And boom, here we are several seasons later uh, and Dan is doing amazing stuff, but Liz, I'm not gonna get ahead of myself. Liz, you're at AFA now. We've already had one interview. Now people are coming by the booth. They're excited to be on. They're saying, we want, it, we want the goodness to be shared. What's going on there? There are tons of, uh, we had the lunch, time rush I think like in between the last time and this time um, and so now you've got like lots of people going to check out some of the briefers going on but we had a ton of engagement with lots of questions because um, we we're sitting in a booth here talking about what our Morpheus initiatives are and then also the, the refinery initiative that we've started with AppWorks as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, we're not here. Uh, this is my doing not here to just find out about them. We got the man Daniel himself here with us. If you haven't done it yet, as uh, right before we dive into it, if you haven't done it yet, do me a favor, do this. Go over to YouTube, go over to LinkedIn, go to wherever you can go to YouTube, Morpheus right there, MorpheusAF.com uh, is there. But also when you go there, make sure that you're actually subscribing, hitting the bell. And this is true for anywhere, anywhere that you're watching from, anywhere you're viewing from, make sure you follow on because we got the content you're looking for that you don't want to miss out on. But again, I digress. We're here for Daniel son, Daniel son. Uh, Dan, listen, you're over at uh, Air Force Cyberworks. Uh, you've been there. Uh, uh, to me, when I think of CyberWorks, I think of you as like a founding founding core piece. You've trained so many people, not only with your effort, your agitary effort, but also with CyberWorks. You've been a champion, truly a champion of innovation since I even knew it was a thing. Uh, you've been a spokesperson for logic across LinkedIn uh, with articles shared all over the place. Humbling to have you here with us at the Morpheus booth, but I know you guys are doing great stuff. Uh, Dan, how's it feel to be back, not only at AFA, but also just uh, Disruptive AF and, and, and when you're thinking about uh, CyberWorks, uh, all the great work that's happened between then and now of where you're at. Yeah, I mean, it's really odd because it's, it's like coming full circle, right? The last time I was on Disruptive AF, I was probably still in, in Hawaii, right? Um, and yeah. I had just kicked off Agitare and the work that we did with Agitare, just kind of trying to promote facilitated practices and design thinking, better ways of getting after 
validating problems, scoping problems, and, and starting to prototype solutions. That work there is what got me on the radar of the, uh, the leadership at Air Force Cyberworks. And, uh, and, and they did, did, did some horse trades behind the scene and got me out to, to Cyberworks and, and gave me the opportunity to do that stuff full time. So now my, my hobby and my passion, the thing that I was doing in my off time, like in a basement, like some sort of weird innovation hobbyist, uh, now that's what I get to do every day, which is, is kind of unbelievable. So I'm gonna, I'm, in, I'm doing the same things, but in a very different place uh, since the last time we, we were on a podcast together. Yeah. And of all of the small worlds also seated off camera to me is one of the founders um, from Cyberworks that actually helped uh, make it a possibility for Daniel to be there. Yep. Um, so it, we're, we're like wow. full family reunion over here. Yeah. Shout out to, to uh, Bill Waynick, who's now retired, uh, who, who did the hard work of pulling a Chinese linguist out of his career field, which is no small feat. That's awesome. That's that truly, truly, truly. Uh, it's amazing how more of those opportunities have started happening more and more where people say, hey, what's possible? What, like, what, what is it that could we do? How is it that we could see somebody's real raw talent that they have that everybody for the longest time has seen of, of uh, I'd say, as an innovation influencer, if we can, we can say that, which we did, so there it is. Uh, now that's a term. <laughs> but uh, you look at, you look at uh, somebody's ability to say, listen, there's something real here. I realize the square peg doesn't fit in the round hole necessarily, but what happens if we create a square peg? Uh, for the for it to fit into, and I know that Liz, you have also been across the space. You've seen so many amazing people who have so many different uh, skills and abilities, and both of you spend a lot of time doing uh, um, uh, facilitating either workshops or problem solving, uh, uh, solution kind of getting people to uh, an idea of how do we approach this. Uh, what is it that you see when you look at individuals and you look at people? Uh, that really makes their talent special in that innovation space, especially kind of in regards to facilitation, because I know you both deal a lot with that facilitation aspect. I think to me, the, the most amazing opportunity that having organizations that are supportive of the skill set is facilita facilitation is an art. And I think everybody, every facilitator has their own style. I think the beauty of having facilitators that wear the uniform gives a, a unique nuance that helps move things along because you've got individuals that that are familiar enough with the landscape with our mission set etc um, but not so involved in a process that they can really guide you through the, that ideation to like really scoping out what a, what do you really have a defined problem um, I, I've learned so much um, from from all of my facilitative events that Daniel hosts um, along with a lot of the, the other training and education that he provides. Um, but there's always something so new yeah. that, that to me, I think it, it's not just something that's niche for the innovation ecosystem, but I think it's something that the Air Force as a whole um, could really stand to have a lot more facilitated problem-solving um, workshops and things. Yeah, and if yeah. I could add on to that. Please, please. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't expect my voice to sound like this, by the way just out of nowhere like there's a i think it adds to like a, a cool factor it's like the i've got like the guru <laughs> voice going on yeah i'm not sure what's happening <laughs> no i I, um, I can i can still hear you yeah, i gotcha 
Okay, cool, cool. I just, it surprised me because I was like, what is this, what is this voice I'm hearing? Okay. Um, so Austin, shout out to my partner in crime, Austin Wiggins, who, uh, who does a lot of events with me and has kind of been with me along, along the way with the founding of Agitare and, um, and now works with me. And we kind of ping off each other with our different styles. Austin's more futures practice focused. I'm more design thinking focused. Yeah. But yeah. we kept getting this question when we would host an event, which was, how do we create more facilitators right, uh, in the Air Force? Yeah. And the question tended to be in the form of, what's the training pipeline? Because that's kind of how we think. We think in terms of training pipelines. So Austin and I sat down for a couple hours and did this mapping exercise where we were like, well, where do our skills come from? A lot of it was not from training we'd taken. It was sort of characteristics we developed by having certain hobbies, yeah. um, by being communicators, because a lot of facilitation is a communication skill. Um, but also there was this, there was all this stuff that was characteristic and experience-based that was probably probably the majority of the things that make us capable facilitators didn't come from being in it going through a single class. Actually, a lot of it comes from our experiences with Ajitarhe, uh, being in a community of practice that experiments and does all of that deliberate practice together with other practitioners. So yeah. it's a little bit more like being a musician where somebody's not a great musician because they took a class. It's really based on how much time they spent getting their chops up, right? Like yeah. performing yeah. in different in different contexts. So that's that's something we've been trying to push is this idea of experiential learning uh, being really appropriate for this domain. Training is great, it'll get you in the door, but you're not gonna become a super competent and capable facilitator until you like really get your hands dirty uh, in, the, in the experiences. And I love that, right? Because I think that was one of the freeing things watching. I got I got the unique opportunity to watch uh, Daniel and Austin while they were doing their planning um, of an event. So three days of event like was weeks of planning. That, oh, yeah. And then watching the, the mirror board develop made me realize like, wow, it wasn't one flavor of facilitation. It was like, okay, it was, to me, I look at it like cooking. Like yeah. it was like these ingredients, like, okay, well, here's a little bit of this, here's a little bit of that, mush it all together, stir it, uh, pop it in the oven, and then yeah. out baked this amazing experience. Yeah. But I think that to me was the first time that I truly started to appreciate that style of like, oh wait, you don't have to be like so checklist oriented. I'm yeah. like, oh no, you, you're facilitating this style yeah. and this is the only way but really finding like, okay, well, people are stuck on this. Let's pivot, let's adjust. Um, and whether that be like adjusting how you're facilitating or adjusting just the activities that you're doing, I think was also just really, really fascinating. And that applies to a lot of innovation practices, I think. One of the things I criticize about the way that people perceive things like design thinking is as a four-step process for innovation or you know a seven-step process for innovation. You don't want if you want people who are capable of doing that in a really complex context, you want chefs. You don't want people who can read a cookbook, right? And huh. chefs pull from a well, variety of different disciplines. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, a chef, they know, like, 
have you ever seen anybody improvise at cooking who was really, really good at it? They, they don't tend to reference materials. Yeah. They've kind of got it in their heads. Like, this is what happens when you combine these two ingredients. And when you start to see this emerge from the situation, you know you got to add some kind of thickener or you know you got to add some heat. Or, oh, nope, I can tell when the heat's too high because I'm seeing this this happen, right? I'm starting to see some caramelization when it's not supposed to be happening. Yeah. So facilitation and, and innovation are very similar in those regards. That if somebody isn't capable of adapting to what they're seeing in the environment and they just keep following through with the steps, because it's all about adapting to what you see emerge from the environment. Wow. Wow. That's that, that it's so it's so interesting you say that because there's been several times where um I, I don't know, sometimes sometimes I literally find people not finding value in those facilitation uh events not because they've been involved in one not because they understand it but because they think oh, I I've literally heard this before and I quote I'm interested in solutions, not sitting around and talking about my feelings, of which I wanted to follow and punch somebody in the face with. I did not. Disclaimer, no animals were hurt in the taping of this event. However, I did want to, I did want to hit him because I'm like, you don't even understand yeah. why this is. Can we just demystify that for a second? Can you di dive into, because I think a lot of people think, no, we just got to push through and get it done, but that's not true. Both of you see this happen. Will you demystify that for yeah. a second? Why facilitation uh, into challenges or mindsets are so important? I think that I think that a lot of people right now are on the same page that the status quo is not working well for a majority of people. And the reason the status quo is the way that it is is because an elite kind of select few determined what the requirements without including the voices of the people who were going to be affected by that situation or were going to be expected to wield those those weapons or you know those uh, weapon systems or or operate in those environments and as a result you end up with systems that don't work for the people within them and don't produce the outputs that we need yeah right yeah so yeah, yeah. so the right ways of doing things the ways that actually are produce the outcomes you want and are coherent with the lived experience of the users, those are ones that create space at the, in, the, in the formation, in the, in the framing and scoping and discovery phase for those voices to be included, which is a lot of what facilitation is. It's creating space, right? Yeah. To make sure that you include those lived experiences and include those user needs. Um, also incorporating just how adaptive those users might be capable of being so you're not overly constraining them if it's too rigid of a system they're not going to be able to actually perform to their potential because it's going to restrict them right yeah so you need to match it to their capabilities and then the other thing is if you want right go back to team of teams um creating more adaptive capacity by users will create a greater range for them of effects that they can create. So if they are super competent, which our airmen are, and you get the weapon systems out of their way, yeah. they will perform to a much higher degree, right? They will, right. They will produce much greater and more 
diverse effects. Right. So facilitation and, and design that actually incorporates the, the voice of the user and design thinking and, and all of these practices, what they do is they stop privileging the, the requirements that are like of the, you know, the people who don't know about the lived experience of the user and they build them smarter with more voices in the uh, in the process. Wow. Wow, that that I, and the, I think and the and the yeah. reason why you see these the, the reason why these are standard practices within industry, you know, Google Ventures uses design sprints for everything coming into their portfolio and you'll see human-centered design practices and design thinking practices and user experience design implemented across all industry in a, to a degree that significantly outpaces us in the military. And the reason they're doing that is it because it creates a competitive advantage. Wow. That, that whole, as you describe what that means to take all of those components into account, because that's a lot. I mean, if you try to, this has kind of been my, my, the thing that I focused on my, my venture of the last year is how do we quantify the intangibles that everybody knows is so important, but nobody wants to be able to put a name to it, a quantity to it. Uh, it's all qualitative, but not quantitative, yep. and it gets lost somewhere. And this yeah. is one of the things that to me and to Liz and, and to the Morpheus team are so important. This is why one of our uh, efforts is human capital, valuing human capital. There are a lot of things that go on in this little nugget uh, that, that can't probably be put on paper. Sometimes maybe it could be a blank sheet of paper, but that's it <laughs> for me at least. Uh, but hey, we're going to go to break real quick. Could we come back in just a second? Uh, Dan, thank you so much for being with us. Truly, it, this, is a, this is a blast, man. A truly, truly a kickback. Uh, a lot, a lot of fun. Hey, when we come back from break here in just a second, we're going to be diving into what is CyberWorks doing, the awesome work that they've been up to, what's coming up next, and what you need to be paying attention to in the Air Force ecosystem. We'll be right back with you in a second right here on Disruptive AF with Morpheus powered by Hey, you know, if you haven't uh, thought about it already, one of the things that you need to do is absolutely, you need to go and subscribe. Before we get back to the episode, you need to get back over there. Go to YouTube. You can follow us at Morpheus right there on the YouTube channel. You won't miss any of the videos, any of the content, anything. It's all of the air, innovation uh, information you're looking for. Literally go there right now. YouTube, look for Morpheus, not the movie. That's right. You can look up Morpheus or Disruptive AF, find the channel that way. And when you get there, do this little guy, do this little guy a favor right there. Make sure you hit the subscribe button because you do not want to miss the great content and information that's coming up here all the time. Let's get back to it right now. Disruptive AF. See ya. Uh, that's right. We're already back right here. Disruptive AF with original himself, Daniel Holter, and the magnificent Liz Garcia with Morpheus. I like that. Yeah, I like it. Uh, they're live at AFA. It's been a blast. Uh, so many people come by the booth, seeing what's going on, wanting to hear uh, what's taking place. Uh, but I have those same questions uh, of, of what's taking place uh, with CyberWorks, Dan, because you uh, wherever you go, change happens things grow things turn to gold 
Well, sometimes they crumble, then they turn into gold because you show up and say, listen, we need to think differently about it. So what are the awesome things that are taking place uh, right now with CyberWorks that uh, you guys are working on and what you're excited about? Oh, so many things. It's been kind of nonstop since I got there working just a, a huge variety of projects. Uh, one of the one of the ones we closed out recently, it was actually a follow on to the um, to the enlisted education of the future sprint that, that Liz was at was a, a future of uh, professional military education for the Space Force. And we briefed the outputs of that one to uh, Chief Master Sergeant of the Space Force, Toberman. Um, and, and the way that we ran it was they were, you know, the Space Force is, is kind of reinventing for themselves a lot of these, uh, a lot of these programs to get after the Guardian, um, the Guardian ideal. Um, they have they have the opportunity to go kind of blank slate some of these things and they're yeah, trying to figure yeah. out how to smartly deviate from the way the Air Force has done things. So what we did was we did uh, um, a series of interviews. So, so CyberWorks tends to start with discovery work where we reach out to individuals and we spend time in in one on one interviews with a range of different uh, in, in, you know users, but in this case, guardians. Yeah. and some of the career field managers uh, and other people who are involved in that ecosystem. And we, and we just talked to them about their experience in Air Force PME and what they see as the, as the primary constraints and, and, and desired outcomes of, uh, of Space Force PME. And then we did a three-day future sprint. And future sprints are really fun because we, we use a you know, strategic foresight methodology uh, which, like I said, Austin Wiggins brought in to, to CyberWorks. And, um, and we, we do a little bit of sort of problem formation, like what is, what is the status quo of this system? Yeah. What, what does it currently produce? What are some of the goods and, and bads? And then we ask them, uh, on top of the features scanning work, like the horizon scanning, what's emerging within this environment and within education generally, um, we put all those ingredients together and we say, now, based on all of that stuff, what, do you, what, what can you picture for the future of, of Space Force education, let's say yeah. in 10 years? Um, and then we make sure that they're being divergent enough, that, they are, that they're coming up with something that's actually based in, in real patterns that are you know, happening right now. And, and what you end up with is, it's not really, it's not predicting the future, but it is trying to respond to just how different things are going to be in 10 years wow. on a number of different domains, right? There's going to be different technology, but also one of the most significant changes you see over the course of 10 years isn't, isn't in just the technology, but how that technology changes people's values. And you can see that significantly wow. right now with the difference between digital natives and the people who are trying to lead them. There's a lot of talk about that in like the management space because it's not just that the tech has changed, it's that that change in technology has changed the way that people think about the world and the values that they have. So that alters everything about this education system, right? How do we approach it? Should we change our modalities? Should we change the, is it in, is it in the same chunks that we do for the same durations? Or do they need something else, yeah. right? I, I gotta pause you for a second for a little for a little praise break on that. 
Yes. Yes! Yes! That conversation that you just had, holy cow. Can we uh, stop, stop the track for a second? Just, just hold on, hold on. You're telling me people think differently when they have had more exposure to digital assets their entire life? You're oh, telling so me maybe we should think differently about how we lead these individuals and how we talk to individuals and how we think they think. For example, five-year-old son learned me yesterday on how a specific, how the camera was supposed to be a certain direction. I was like, no, 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 son, you don't understand. He's like, dad, you don't understand. It wasn't made for that. It was made for this. So I did what any dad who had a five-year-old call them out do. I go to Google and I say, which direction is this position? Sure enough, he was 100% right. You know who felt like a fool in that moment? This guy. I'm just telling you, it was the most wild random thought, but how true is it uh, of what you're talking about right there? How much of a difference, can we pause there for a second? How much of a difference does this make overall when we think about our decisions, when we think about how we lead, when we think about facilitating a session? How much of that really has to be considered? And then we can move on because I don't think this gets enough attention personally. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it, it all comes down to that same thing that I kind of ranted about before, which is doing things that are coherent with where people are at. Right. It's already, I mean, it's right there in the OODA loop, right? We are all supposed to be spun up on how the OODA loop works. You got observe, orient, decide, act. It's the way that our cognition works. We orient based on our lived experience. That's a pretty significant part of what causes us to see certain things and then it even more affects like how we respond to the things that we observe, right? How we yeah. make decisions. So if people have a different lived experience, such as, for example, you know, me, I started using the internet at age 12 compared to a lot of people who are leading me who didn't start using the internet until they were in their 20s, right? Right. I think about operating in the world significantly differently as a result <laughs> of that. Right. I expect the internet to do stuff for me, and I'm like, why would I put that burden on me? Right. I carry this thing around in my pocket all the time that holds knowledge. Why would I memorize things? Like, what's the point of that? Right. Oh my gosh, completely. It's it, complete. I uh, somebody that I talked to last uh, last week, they um, they had this conversation with their child, and the conversation was, you need to learn how to do this. And that was exactly what you said. They said, no, I don't. I just need to know the answer so I pass the test. And they said, "Yeah, that's not, no, you need to know how to do this. And they said, listen, I can find this information anywhere and everywhere. That's how the world works. And it was this kind of back yeah. and forth. I'll, I'll throw yeah. the question over I'm to not you. Trying to, yeah, and I'm not trying to say that the values of the earlier generations aren't valid. Well, of course, of course. They yeah. might be valid. They might be applicable. But for somebody who grew up with the technology we have, if that's, a, if that's a value they need to hold, then you need to bring them along. Right. You don't just get to order them because if you tell them to do something and it's not within the values that are based on their lived experience, you know, we've got this whole quiet quitting thing, right? This is a big like viral, uh, people love to talk about it. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what that actually means by the way, but but what that actually represents to me is that 
the people who are leading others are holding values that they have failed to instill in the people that they are leading. And wow. you don't get to force people to have your values. You wow. just don't. Wow. So either you need to step up and be a leader who brings people along, or you need to gain a deep understanding of why they hold those values and find where the common ground is. That's awesome. That, that, uh, that's amazing. Truly, truly amazing. How uh, th it's a perfect segue because here in the next podcast, we're having a uh, Guido from Bestman, uh, where we're literally talking about di the digital, how to lead in a digital age. How do you think differently? That's why I had to pause here for a second. It's going to be a perfect segue for a podcast coming up that we're going to be recording here tomorrow, but y'all are going to watch this at a yeah. later time. But when you, when you talk about that mindset, uh, Liz, you've been dealing or working a lot in kind of the education aspect and considering these, these not digital wise, but you have a digital background. You've been working in this education uh, space, talking to a lot of people for enlisted education. How do you see that being so fundamentally different from some of the mindsets that exist now to the mindsets of where we need to go? And how do we bridge that gap? I mean, how, how do we, because that's a big gap. So I think perhaps I'm more of a glass half full uh, type of perspective because I, I don't think that gap is as large as sometimes it feels. Right, because I think you have tons of like, look at the uh, events that Daniel's been part of and, and Austin's been part of, right? You've got a lot of very, very intelligent people that are saying, we, we have a gap to bridge. Um, and, and we're not just sitting on our laurels and saying, well, because it worked 10 years ago, it's gonna work tomorrow um, or it's gonna work 10 years from now. So we are being very mindful of the fact that things are shifting and changing and it's not like anyone's expecting a magic wand to be like, okay, well, or I have a magic ball that I can look at what the future is gonna look like. But it is, it is saying like, how do we start to shift, whether that be rapid shifts because people have come in with a totally different perspective, yeah. or how do you slowly start to, to build what's a common vision or what's a common values or culture, the word that everyone um, kind of throws around quite often. Yeah. But how do you start to build that and not say, I'm gonna direct culture, but I'm going to build it and I'm going to ask for everyone's input because they're valuable and their yeah. perspectives are, and yeah. say, I'm going to have a shared understanding because now I've actually incorporated individuals. Yeah, and, and this comes back to just like one of the, one of the most basic facilitation patterns that you'll find is just getting a group of people together who might have varying, they'll have different perspectives on the how. That's where most of the conflict is. It's in the how and the what. But you'll find that if you get them to spend a little time together and talk about what their experiences and their values and their desired outcomes are, you can get them to agree on the why. Yeah. And once they've agreed on the why, what are we trying to do here? What's most important? What outcomes are we aiming for? That's when you can step them down to, okay, well, what are the kinds of things that'll get after that? Do some people in the room think that going that route will result in some kind of effects that the other group is blind to? Well, that's probably good information to surface, right? Yeah. And then we can get them to agree on the how, and then we'd step it down once we've achieved that alignment, and then we start talking about the one, right? right? That's, or, or maybe I flipped how and and no, it, it makes way, it makes perfect. I do, I do. It, it, it makes perfect perfect sense. I think that the, to me the major takeaway, if you're listening, as you listen to this, 
and you, you may be saying, I don't know what you're talking about because this is all completely new to me. The one thing I'd say is, is don't just accept it for what it is. Don't just accept that, hey, there's this misunderstanding, there's this misalignment, or, or there's a difference between you and us. If you don't, you may not know how to be able to go about doing it, uh, but I'll tell you, uh, uh, people who truly care about making that investment and, and uh, being able to connect with their, the people they're leading, uh, uh, connect into the future, do have to take this into account and you do have to be able to say, you know what? I do need to understand that. If there's no other takeaway, I'd say it's simple. It's that yeah. you have to realize things are changing. So sorry, totally. Yeah, go, go, go. This is good. So it's, it's not just the leader's role. Right? right. Like I think right. it's everybody that you're encountering, right? right? Like I think that part of having shared values in in an organization uh, doesn't have to. It shouldn't rest on simply just the leader to say, okay, well they're going to be the ones to empathize and understand. But really, it's fostering that behavior yeah. that you want in everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Creating a culture in which you surface those things because you know. That if we don't agree on the why or the what, then there's a decent chance the how is going to break down. Right. Right. You talked earlier, Trigger, about uh, people not investing in this stuff and this touchy-feely, like lived experience and all of that. Yeah. Like what happened to the military, where we, the leaders, decide what we're going to do, and then you you order people and they just you know they move out. Well, what we've realized, especially as the world becomes more volatile, uncertain you know, complex and ambiguous is that, uh, is that when you aren't aligned to the why and you aren't aligned to the, to the what, then that how breaks down way more frequently. So that's why that investment in getting people aligned and then giving them, adapt giving them that adaptive capacity. This is all in team of teams. It's just, they say it with slightly different words. Yeah, yeah. Man, so incredibly good. So incredibly, incredibly good. I, 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 uh, before we do go uh, and wrap up our reunion of bliss, of wonderfulness, <laughs> I do want to make sure uh, we let people know a snapshot of not only what's coming up with CyberWorks, but also how to be able to get in contact with CyberWorks. Uh, if you're, as you're watching this, you can check the, the links below. The, uh, the link to CyberWorks will be there. Because you guys are really, really good at this. I mean, you're really good at helping people understand the way forward. Uh, that's, as I said, yeah. that's what I think of CyberWorks. So what's coming up with CyberWorks? And then how can they best get a hold of you? And how can you guys best help? What's the value that CyberWorks always brings? Yeah, right, right now we're looking, we, we actually just delivered an output to Air Combat Command A6, which is looking at the 17X Cyber Officer Talent Management. Um, and so that's kind of, we, we just completed the first phase of that, where we, we put some recommendations out that could be pretty huge, in my opinion, if they chose to, to move forward with them. But either way, we managed to, to, to put a lot of information together to help those decision makers with some of the, some of the most critical information about what technologies out there and, uh, and also the the systems that are connecting to other systems. There was a ton of research that went into this one. So maybe coming up next, we'll see We'll see future phases of that one. We're also looking at data management for the Elixir uh, uh, platform. Um, the way that CyberWorks works is we, we 
if you reach out to us through afcyberworks.org, it's W-O-R-X, by the way, because they had to be slightly unique. Um, we usually, we get back to people. So you can reach out to me or you can fill out a form or, or hit up the email on, uh, on the website. And we take on problems, just uh, such a wide variety of different problems. And if you're not familiar, the way that CyberWorks functions is we've got a, this crack team of designers and facilitators who approach these problems from different angles. So even within our team, we'll hash out what strategy we're gonna use for this one from a variety of different methods. We have traditional UX designers who use UX research methods. I've learned a lot from them. Uh, and then we have facilitators like me in Austin, I, me from the design thinking and other facilitated practices, those schools. Uh, and then also Austin and I have been going through systems thinking training to incorporate more of that systems thinking uh, methodology in, in some of the work that we're doing. So yeah, just reach out if you have a if you have a problem, especially if it's cyber. But even if it's not, you know, we, we take on all kinds of things. Yeah, awesome. I would, uh. Yeah, and I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Agitare because that's my, you know, that's 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 my happy place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do. Uh, if you're interested in in facilitated methodologies and becoming a practitioner of these methods. That's a community of practice for people who are engaged in, in futures, in design thinking, in sense making, CPI, uh, Project Mercury, um, you know, sense making in complex systems. There's, there's just so many different methods out there. Uh, and we also, we, we also do this thing where we will facilitate three hour trainings just to introduce people to some of these concepts, or we'll host events to just talk about culture facilitation there's, there's always stuff going on in that community. So reach out to me on LinkedIn if you're interested in that. Absolutely. We absolutely will. Liz, I'm telling you, we are getting our money's worth right now. Are we not? This is awesome. Always. But every time with Daniel, I feel like I'm always learning. Like I just want to like have a notebook and I'm just a sponge when I'm around. I know. <laughs> I know. It does. It literally doesn't get old. Here, I, I, I regretted to look at the clock. It's like, holy cow. It felt like five minutes. This has been amazing. Awesome. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us, not only representing uh, Cyborgs, but the original, the original Disruptive AF. Liz, thank you so much for being such a shepherd through the AFA event. Uh, as we conclude this time, Daniel, we'll see you later and make sure that we get uh, the info over uh, for you to be able to follow, you the viewer. Thank you all. For you, the viewer, the watcher, the listener, uh, to be able to join us uh, anytime, anywhere to, f to meet and get connected to people exactly like Daniel. I'm telling you, it is completely worth it. If you haven't done it yet, do yourself a favor. You want more content like that? Yeah, I'm sure you do. So you should probably go right here, right there, YouTube Morpheus. Also, you can go to LinkedIn, uh, LinkedInMorpheusAF.com and the website. Oh my gosh, the website, www.morpheus.com af.com you don't want to miss make sure when you go there now i know this bumper is going to say youtube but make sure when you go there subscribe wherever you're at whatever you're seeing because you don't want to miss out on it we'll see you next time thanks for joining disruptive af powered by morpheus we'll see you all later hey!